everyone. I am super excited for today's show, but before we dive in, I wanted to give you a very um, special announcement, I guess a little bit of housekeeping updates about what's going on in the world of workshops. And if so, if you're in, in the neighborhood of the Pacific Northwest, in particular, the Vancouver, Washington area, and you are free on the weekend of March 12th and the 13th, um, my best bud and I are hosting workshop. It's a really cool workshop. It's all about uh, the nervous system. We're learning how to reset the nervous system, reduce anxiety. And so it's a combination of practices that Cass and I have um, perfected and honed over the years to really soothe and tap into the nervous system. And I think like <laughs> there's so much relevance in, in our current day and age, what we've all been going through for the past, you know, two years plus, this is very pertinent. So uh, like I said, the week shop, the workshop is from March 12th to 13th. It's being hosted at Heights Yoga, which is a really beautiful um, space in Vancouver, Washington. And we have loads of props, tools, tips for you. You're going to walk away with a swag bag. So you have some goodies to take home. You're going to uh, walk home with like some really practical tools and skills that you can practice on your own. You can practice with your bestie, you can practice with your partner, your cat, your dog, your child, <laughs> whoever will give you the time of day in your household to really integrate these things into your life. So it's basically like um, a backbending practice. And when I say a backbending practice, um, that can sound a little scaring or jarring or even off-putting to some people. But what I want you to know right away is you don't have to have a yoga practice. You do not need to be flexible. That's definitely not a requirement. Um, it's all about just learning how to move your spine. So even if you're just stretching your arms up and overhead, you won't be the only one doing that. And that's good enough. And that's your backbend, right? Um, so that's the first thing that's really activating for the nervous system. Then we'll talk about emotional hygiene. We're going to do a lot of really fun, uh, group activity, group work. Uh, we'll create a safe space for that. We'll have support for you. And then we'll end with a really soothing, lovely, cooling practice for the nervous system of yin yoga and yoga nidra led by me, yours truly. So if you want details for that, sign up, uh, details are on my website. You can also head over to Heights Yoga events and sign up today, March 12th through the 13th. It'll be those two days, Saturday and Sunday, um, for, from two to 5 PM each day. All right. I hope to see you there. Enjoy the episode. Good day. I was going to say good morning, but it depends on when you're listening to this, I guess, what time of day it is and where in the world you are. So good day, morning, evening, whatever it is for you as you are listening to this episode on Outside the Studio. My name is Tessa Tovar. I am your host. I am really excited to be here today with Pamela Selig, who is the author of Threads of Yoga, Themes, Reflections, and Meditations to Weave into Your Practice. And she is a um, former Wall Street career woman um, who it sounds like kind of later on in life um, found yoga 
out of necessity um, because of an illness that you developed and um, then took a turn from the career of Wall Street into a career in yoga. And we have um, maybe, as I was reading your bio, Pamela, I was like, I wonder if we've crossed paths before because every time I go to New York, I go practice at the Integral Yoga Institute. It's my favorite place maybe in the world so far that I've practiced. Me too. Really? (laughs) Yes. I wonder if like, I mean, it's possible that we could have taken a class together or passed each other in the hallways there. For sure. Twice. Um, So without further ado, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for, for being here with us today. Oh, thanks for having me. Really happy to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to chat with you. And um, I'm wondering if, if, if there's anything you want to add to my very brief introduction of you to the audience. Um, well, you know, I think, yes, I did work uh, in the financial industry on Wall Street and um, and kind of reluctantly found yoga through I had Bell's palsy, which is an illness, not life threatening, but kind of dramatic where your half of your face is paralyzed and there's really nothing to do but wait. And that's really a doctor told me maybe try meditation, which I would have never done, you know, in, uh, at that time in my life. That's really how I got into this whole world. I had no idea um, how powerful even just meditation at that point could be. So um, that kind of turned me in the direction Took me a few years, but um, got more into yoga and um, taught and then opened a studio, had a studio for nine years and then um, started writing the book. So it's um, it's been an interesting journey, but I think many people can probably relate, you know, in terms of what brought them to yoga or meditation. Sometimes it's um, it's out of necessity, as you said. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and we're lucky that you found it, you know, and and now you're sharing your journey with us. And um, so it sounds like you had a really profound encounter with meditation fairly soon. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. Well, um, at that time, this was in the 80s, in the late 80s. I was pretty young. I was in my late 20s. And um, I was working really you know, 24 seven, not sustainable. And um, I just didn't know of any other way to be. And um, so when I was told, you know, to stay home, rest, that's all you can do. And this was pre-internet too. So I, you know, hurt, my doctor said, try meditation. So I just got a couple of books and skimmed them. I couldn't even really read because I only had one eye, to, you know, one eye was patched. So I read a little bit and I didn't know you should start slowly. Like now I teach yoga and say, you know, five minutes, 10 minutes to start. I just sat for hours really trying to do it. Cause you know, I was a little bit type a. <laughs> so um, I started to have experiences that I didn't understand things like seeing lights like behind my eyelids and then opening my eyes, seeing lights in the room, hearing strange sounds um, and just not knowing what it was and asking people. uh, And finally one person who I was seeing at that time, I went to like an energy healer told me look in yoga texts 
they'll tell you about what's happening. And I thought yoga, you know, that's bendy pretzel poses. I had no idea that was meditation. So, but I read about, you know, seeing what the light was and learning about prana and learning what, what was happening. And it was very validated because what I was reading, I was actually experiencing. So I knew that it was true. And really, I wouldn't have thought any of this stuff was true, you know, six months earlier. So I was amazed and fascinated and um, sort of began trying to understand and perceive more about this world that was opening up to me. So it's it started in that way. And then, and then there were some deeper experiences, but anyone out there that meditates can relate. You know, we all have our experiences that happen and not that that's necessarily what we're trying to get or grasping for, you know, the work is just as important, but, um, but it was good because it kind of pulled me along and helped me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. I love, I love hearing about, um, learning hearing about and learning about the i guess the phenomena of being in meditation and experiencing these kind of mystical spiritual phenomena that i would agree with you i wouldn't believe it either even though i am a person who has always gravitated towards um spirituality and um the mystical realm but I still kind of, um, I guess, like withhold judgment until I experience something for myself. And, uh, you know, you, you read about these things in the yogic texts that seem like, that's, like how, how can that be true? Like, really? Come on. <laughs> mm-hmm. and experience it for yourself and, um, yeah, validate. So my question is, aside from corroborating the story and experience is, what did you learn about seeing lights or having vision or hearing sounds in these texts? Was there anything that jumped out at you as profound? In yes. What? Well, the first thing was, you know, we have these five senses that we experience the world with. And I thought, that was who I was, you know, the, this physical body, physical world. Um, I didn't know there was more than that, that, that there was much more. And I was, I, I, I don't know what the right word is, not angry or frustrated, but I was annoyed that I didn't know more about this. But when I experienced these different things in meditation, it became clear to me that there is more to me than the five century world. There's more to reality than the five century world. And I really didn't know about that. That wasn't in our mainstream culture. Sure. There's religion and you hear about, you know, angels and things like that, but I never took that seriously. And so the fact that, you know, I was not a holy person. I wasn't an enlightened being. I'm not now. <laughs> I'm not a perfect person. Um, and these things were happening to me. So that means they could happen to anyone. Why wasn't this more, you know, out there? That was really my like, wait, why didn't? And then learning that the lights, for instance, were prana. 
it was prawn. It was this energetic part of my being, our being. And it was, I needed to settle it down. That was part of my issue. That was part of my health issue that I had to settle this energy down and balance it. And that would help heal my physical body. That was me. That's not all Bell's palsy at all, but I knew intuitively that's what was going on with my situation. So once I learned about the energy body, which is what traditional Chinese medicine utilizes, meridians, acupuncture, it's not, this isn't just yoga, yoga texts. This is indigenous cultures, other traditional um, medical traditions. So it was again, validated. And I worked with it. I learned about prana, pranayama, and I could feel in my body um, the result. So I guess the big thing that I learned was there was more to me and there was more to life than just the physical. I love the physical. I love the world, but it's just the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more to us. That's what yoga teaches really. Oh, I love that. That's such a heartwarming and um, yeah, as I, as I listen to you say that, I just feel like, yeah, that's, that's a nice reminder and it's a good um, validating point of why we do this practice of yoga and what it's all for and how meditation is absolutely intrinsically part of yoga. So thank you for also calling that out. Um, yeah, I think it's it's really interesting, and I'm curious to hear your perspective on this too as a fellow teacher um, and author of this book. The landscape of yoga in our current culture, which I've talked about this a little bit before, and I talk about it often with my other teacher friends and practitioners. It's, you know, you, you walk around, at least I do, at least, uh, in the Pacific Northwest um, in the city, and I see um, a lot of core power yoga, yoga six, like the the corporatization or commercialization of yoga, um, kind of like a Starbucks on every corner, sometimes one across the street from the other, and um, and it's it's an interesting observation. Like first, I often notice myself having a judgment about it. Um, and then thinking, well, there's purpose in that too. And noticing maybe the types of people that gravitate towards that style of practice. Um, and just kind of like the evolutionary process of yoga in the West, not, not even in the West, maybe across the world, what it is today versus, you know, where we, where we started as a, human population with these teachings and so often I find myself kind of like okay well what is it that I'm teaching why do I teach and um, why am I labeling this or that yoga as good or bad and um, is there some purpose or lesson in that and that's a really long-winded question or not even a question but more of like a pondering (laughs) just to just to like have you kind of tell me your experience about the current landscape of yoga well i think what you're talking about is really why i wrote the book 
because I have the same feeling of like, I personally love the physical practice. I was lucky, I think, because I started with meditation. So I, I already kind of knew there was more happening, but I love movement. We all need it. And I love the physical practice for many people. And I think myself included, the physical practice was really the first time I became, I experienced awareness of the physical body, like awareness embodiment in the physical body in a conscious way. I mean, I always played sports, loved it, but it was this awareness through breath and movement that was energizing and relaxing at the same time. How could that be? You know, it was just this opening. So I think for a lot of people, that's what going to a yoga studio, doing an intense class or, or even not even a quiet class and moving and feeling. So I totally don't want to discount that, but if that is what you think yoga is, then you're, unfortunately you're missing a lot. (laughs) So I feel like a lot of people now in, in the United States where I am, at least I can speak from here are now saying at moving a little bit like, well, what's the point of yoga slash meditation? I kind of think of them as synonyms. What's the point? And in my book, I focus on this one text, Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, written about 2000 years ago. And he tells us what yoga is, why we do it, how to do it through the eight-limbed path, and then the ultimate stages. So the very first, well, the second sutra, he says what yoga is. Yoga is the quieting of the mind. So that's what it is. And one of the ways he tells us to do that, to quiet the mind, is through postures. It's one of the limbs of the eight-limbed path. So, you know, we're doing yoga when we're doing our physical practice, but don't forget, it's for quieting the mind. So that kind of hung me up for a few couple decades. The, um, okay, how can I quiet my mind? Like how? Wow. That's like such a, you know, right there, you're doing, you know, so much. There's so many um, ways to practice and benefits and incremental improving of the abilities. But only like in the last five years, I would say, and I, I feel like a lot of people are feeling this too. Did I say like, well, wait, why quiet the mind? Like, why? Uh, Not that I can do it. (laughs) You don't have to be able to perfectly do it, but at least it quiets down. But why quiet the mind? And the very next sutra tells us, the third sutra says, and then the seer abides in her true nature. So yoga is the quieting of the mind. And then the seer abides in her, his, their true nature. So we do this so that we can know ourselves, to know who we are, to be real, to be authentic, to know who we are so that we can live an authentic life. So to me, that kind of was a little bit of a, you know, revelation that when we know what we're doing this for, it's even more inspiring. It's even more beautiful because so many people now, I think, are seeking their purpose and trying to live authentically. You be you. It's kind of in our culture now. And 2,000 years ago, Patanjali told us, yeah, you be you and how to do it. 
you have to quiet your mind. I think of it like move it over and then you'll, it's revealed. It's not, it's not, it hasn't gone anywhere. It's there. We're always connected. It just, our mind is so loud. It covers it up. Mm -hmm. So that's, that is why we practice. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I love that. Um, So I'm wondering about, if when you were writing this book, it sounds like you drew a lot from the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. And I'm wondering a couple of things. If there was a, there's so many different um, translations of the sutras and many different authors of the sutras. And, um, and then interpretations of those translations depending on who we practice with or who our mentors are, teachers are. So I'm wondering if, um, like it took, how long did it take you to write this book and kind of interpret the sutras for yourself and distill them into what feels to me like a a modern day application of this ancient 2000 year old text? Because this was like one of the first um, written maps, I guess, of the process of yoga to this idea of samadhi or enlightenment or um, this step-by-step process of why we practice, right? Yes. Yeah, this is definitely one of the foundational yoga texts. It's, you know, Patanjali wrote it, they think around 2000, it's a little bit debated. Some people say 2300 years ago to like, 1700 years ago but and it even at that time he didn't he is known as the compiler this information was considered ancient even then but he i like the word you use the map it's kind of like a road map um he compiled it and created this eight-limbed path of of how to quiet the mind. And yes, there are many commentaries. We could probably fill a library with how many commentaries on the translations of the Yoga Sutras. Um, My first introduction to it was Swami Satchidananda's. It's probably the most popular translation. If you're uh, many yoga teacher training um, programs use that one. It's, it's quite I don't, the word simple doesn't give it credit because it's so profound, but it's quite accessible the way that Swami Satchidananda um, translates and then gives stories about the lessons from each sutra. There's 196 sutras. They're little, not even sentences, like they're, they're just phrases. So there's not that many words to misinterpret. Well, I guess you could misinterpret a translation, but it's very it would be hard to misinterpret many of them. Like yoga is the quieting of the mind is sutra too. Many people say yoga is the quieting of the cessations of the fluctuations of the mind, but we get the idea. It's this quieting of that inner narrator. And then the seer abides in their true nature. It's, it's pretty simple. And then the eight limit. So there's not, you can't go too wrong. Like in many texts, which, which get a little bit more detailed, I think can go a little bit more, uh, you know, you can take it one way or the other, but I found most of many of the, I, the books that I've read on the, on the sutras, there's a lot of common, you know, interpretations, um, 
some go more in depth than others, but I like that how, you know, the sutras are so well laid out, pretty clear. Anybody could follow them. Um, even the yamas and the niyamas, the 10 ethical precepts, you know, it's the yoga kind of 10 commandments, but we've all heard like nonviolence, non-stealing, be honest, be generous. You know, these, like we all kind of know what, what it's about. So it didn't take me too long to, to sort of, you know, take and I didn't, this is definitely not a translation. My book is not a scholarly book. It's not a religious book. It's inspired by them, by the sutras, um, in a way that I think for a 21st century audience who, you know, goes to yoga classes and likes this information, but there's only so much you can learn in a 60 or 90 minute yoga class or so much you can teach. Um, so it's really for those who want to go a little deeper and, you know, get to the, the wisdom underneath this, this um, art really of yoga or science of yoga. Mm, yeah, it's beautiful. Thank you. Um, so many different directions I feel like I want to go, but I think what I'm wondering first off is if you, because you're obviously well-versed in the sutras, I'm wondering of the 196, if there is either a most profound one for you, one that you um, constantly return to, um, or I guess the word favorite I'm trying to shy away from because it's like, what does that even mean really? <laughs> Just one that, you know, we all kind of have the ones that we gravitate towards as our, our great teachers or our, um, our things that we kind of use like a mantra that we return to over and over again. Um, well, I think it's hard because when I first discovered the Yoga Sutras, I was, I was astounded, honestly. Like I even get emotional because... I couldn't believe it's like a guidebook to being human. And so many people suffer. You know, I mean, we all suffer. That's part of being human. But so many of us suffer unnecessarily because we don't know this information. And, you know, I think that the, if I could boil it down, like if you, not my favorite, but I guess what was the most transformative for me was this understanding when it hit me that you are not your thoughts, that we all have a mind and we all have this inner narrator. And I thought I have a body and I have a mind and that's who I am. And I'm living my life based on this. But yoga teaches you, if you think that, yoga sutras say, that is a terrible, tragic misunderstanding. It's sad. And how would we know otherwise? Unfortunately, we don't, we're not taught otherwise in our life. You know, we have a mind, build your mental abilities, um, take care of your body, but that's it, you know? So uh, when you learn that, you have a mind, uh, but you are not your thoughts. And to know who you are, you have to quiet down those thoughts. Um, and then if you do that, if you practice and do that, then you have these realizations that, 
oh, you know, I'm, there's much more to me that we're all connected. And that's a, that's a big one because if you, if you don't know that you're more than your thoughts, you feel very separate because we have a body, we have a mind, we're very separate. We look out from that at everything. And that's very, I think, anxiety inducing and very depressing things that so many of us suffer from because we don't know any better. We don't know who we are. So I think in terms of the sutras, if there's um if there's one thing that I think it teaches us that's so timely for our culture now is that we're not our thoughts. Our thoughts are not necessarily true. It's just activity in the mind. Don't give them all of your attention. Um, and then, of course, if we're not our thoughts, who are we? Um and that the way to find that out is to quiet down the thoughts. And that's the practice. So um, I remember one time I was teaching and I was trying to say, teach this while we were in movement. We were kind of like moving through cat cow. And I said, you are not your thoughts. <laughs> um, when you, the thoughts quiet down, um, you can abide in your true nature. And one of the students asked like out loud as we were moving, it was kind of shocking. She said, what's that? What's your true nature? <laughs> like, and I, thought, I just laughed like, yeah, that's the question. <laughs> who, who are we? What is that? But, and you have to find out for yourself. Nobody can tell you words don't work. So um, that's the actual practice. So that was a long-winded answer to your question. What's my favorite? <laughs> but it's this idea. You are not your thoughts. <laughs> yeah, I love that. There's, um, is it, is it Sadhguru? I'm forgetting the name of the yogi whose meditation I often listen to, but it is that repetition of, I am not the body, I am not the mind, I am not the body for about 15 minutes. Um, it's one of my most favorite meditations led guided meditations because mm -hmm. it's, and I still struggle with answering that question myself you know and maybe that points to just the continual we practice because we forget and we practice because it's um that's what it means to be human and on this plane of um forgetting and remembering and I I often think like when I read the text, when I even just, you know, poetry, even not related to yoga, that there is um, on some level this recognition of, oh, yeah, I knew that already. It's like I needed somebody to remind me, right? Somebody who's been there before or um, a teacher who's just a little bit farther along on the path than I am. Um, so I love that one so much. I also mm -hmm. love what you said about this idea that we are not separate and that's this is a reminder of that um and i have a really quick little story about how that really sunk in for me like that became a very tangible thing i was living in the bay area and flying home from somewhere i flew into the oakland airport got off the plane was headed to the restroom and in the restroom like entryway there was this framed piece of artwork it was a quote and uh, it said, I am you, he is she, and we are all together. And I, 
stood there probably for like five minutes, forgetting I had to pee really bad, (laughs) staring at this, reading it over and over again, because I think for me, intellectually, it takes that repetition to let something land physically um, in, in my physical body. And something on that scale of, oh, yeah, I'm not separate. You know, we're actually all together in this to, to really take hold and, and plant roots in the body. Um, so I love, I love that answer. And I love the, all the explanations that came with it. Um, and I think where, so this is something that I've been thinking about a lot lately and, you know, over the years and teaching and studying has come up for me again and again. And it's this idea that as we think about the eight limb path and we think about, you know, this idea that it may or may not be linear, like there's step one through eight and, um, your process in that can weave from one to eight, it can jump up to four and go back to three or, you know, whatever it is that you're experiencing that you're learning in the moment. Um, But it seems like there's this myth or this idea that if you achieve enlightenment, that if you reach Samadhi, that you will no longer suffer and that you will transcend this idea of having fear or having anger or having sorrow um, and that you will reside in this constant state of joy and peace and calm and love. And I wonder, (laughs) well, I wonder what your thoughts are on that. Um, I know what mine are. I think, I guess they kind of change daily, but I'm curious what you think about that. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's, I think it's true. Mine also, um, shift, you know, back and forth, because I like to stay open to different ideas and different teachings and different levels of understanding. So I like the being open and learning and just taking it in and not having to commit to any, you know, belief. (laughs) You know, I think I'm open. And I did, I've often contemplated exactly what you're saying, because there are conflicting sort of um, teachings out there on um, the ultimate stages of self-realization. I I personally think as humans, we have bodies, we have emotions, we have, um, and that's part of the human experience. I don't think, I mean, I know I'm, my purpose for doing yoga isn't to get out of suffering necessarily. I don't want to suffer um, to add to the suffering that doesn't need to be there. Um, It's not, that's not my purpose to be comfortable all the time. Um, I once heard the Dalai Lama, somebody asked him this question. And I, and I remember he said, um, they said, do you, first of all, they asked if he was enlightened and he of course didn't answer. He wouldn't give a straight answer. So he laughed or chuckled. And then they said, do you suffer? You know, and he said, everyone suffers. And and they said, even an enlightened person. And he said, oh yes. He said, compassion can be painful because you're feeling the pain of another person. You're having compassion for them. That can be painful. Like I, you know, when you even read the news nowadays, it can be so painful. So you really have to be careful and, you know, not overdo Think you know, only do only take in as much news as you can handle because it can be extremely painful. 
and I, so I don't think, I think suffering is part of being human, but, um, but I do think that, um, when we don't attach to things, when we're not attached to our thoughts or attached to gripping, um, you know, what we're hoping to get or a result for someone else even, or that creates suffering. And as we move along on our yoga journey, we can be aware of when we're overly attaching to things and let it go and be open to what is. And, you know, the practice of mindfulness, which really is the practice of yoga, being aware of the present moment, when we do keep ourselves in the present moment, focus on the breath and be where we are, then we can experience less suffering right there, you know, because we're, we're okay. We we're taking a breath, we're exhaling. And even if there's pain, we can handle the present moment. Um, so I'm not sure about really what the ultimate stages of self-realization, enlightenment, the different stages of samadhi entail. But um, I'm just right now, like enjoying the journey, being open, being grateful for the teachings that we have now with technology. We don't have to traverse <laughs> the countryside looking for a teacher and, and uh, find the caves. And they, we can find these teachings like they're available. Um, it's good to be probably in the presence of an enlightened person, but the teachings now across all different cultures are available and we have access to them. And um, I think it's really a great gift. Mm. Yeah, I love that. Thank you. I'm, I'm wondering, I want to go back to the book, Threads of Yoga, and you did mention the um, the purpose behind it, but I'm curious about what really, ins- not what inspired you to write it, but what made you write it? You know, there's a difference between like, oh, I have this idea for writing a book um, and actually doing that work of writing the book, <laughs> which is is such a journey in and of itself. Like you could even write a, a map, uh, an eight limb path map to the journey of writing a book. So I'm curious to, to know more about your writing process and your inspiration and not, not just the inspiration for the idea, but the actual action of starting the writing process. Mm-hmm. Well, fortunately, I didn't know how much work it was going to be. <laughs> so that really, ignorance really helped me. But um, it took a few years because when I started to teach, I really wanted to bring this wisdom in. Like I mentioned, I found it really tricky, harder than it looks to do it. And I was always looking for a book that would give me some quotes, some stories, some themes, some ideas. Not that it wouldn't be my own, but especially when you're busy, <laughs> when, you know, I, I was always looking for help, you know, and, and I would pick things out of books that I was reading or poems, but I wanted something like a book that would like put it all together, different chapters. Um, so that's what, and I could never find that book. Um, so that's what got me to think I would write it. But as I was writing it, I was like, geez, you know, everyone should know this, whether you do yoga or not. Students want, should know a little bit more about this than you can teach in a class. 
even people that don't do yoga, like I have friends that have no interest in the physical practice, maybe they're runners or they just don't, they just don't want to go to a class. Like they're curious, like what is all the fuss about with yoga? Like, why is this 3000 year old practice still a thing? And it's because of the wisdom underneath it. So that's what inspired me to write. Like I wanted, this is like basically what I think everyone should know. It's kind of, it's not that complicated, but it's, it's, I think it's profound wisdom. And so that's really what made it a lot of fun. What I found that was kind of surprising as I wrote the book was how my practice helped. So it doesn't matter that I was writing. I think in whatever you you're doing in your life, like I was like, okay, every day I'm going to do my practice, you know, 30 minutes of this, 40 minutes of that. Then I'm going to sit down to write. If I didn't do my practice, my meditation and movement, um, it just didn't flow. I mean, it was directly related. So I, that really, you know, showed me how, how powerful it is in another way for writing. So, so that was really fascinating for me, how the connection, um, and then I, so I stuck to it and kept moving along, didn't know what I was doing, didn't have a publisher yet, didn't have an agent, didn't know about that, but I knew, you know, through my practice you know, you get intuition, just keep going, just keep going, just take one step, just keep, take one step, don't think of the end and it'll all work out. And it was very natural and easy, you know, if I didn't get too in my thoughts, mm. you know, once I, I heard the thoughts, like, it's not good enough. Who do you think you are? You know, those thoughts would come in because of yoga. I could recognize them and say like, you know, don't pay attention to that. And so that was kind of fun, you know, experiencing the yoga as I was writing. Mm. Oh, yeah. Well, that was one of my questions about, well, it's a twofold question really. And you, you answered part of it. What does your practice look like? Your, is there a daily ritual? Um, and you did mention morning, 30 minute, maybe movement, 40 minute ish meditation. Um, and then diving into your writing, how long did you, did you, I wonder if you approached it like, okay, Monday through Friday, I'm going to do this or seven days a week, I'm going to do this for the next two years. I have. Did you have some sort of like a outline plan goal? Yeah. Well, I have to say I was super lucky because in my life, I don't think I ever had a time in my life when I had so much free time as I did about three years ago when I started this. Um, I became an empty nester. My kids were off on their own. Um, and we moved part-time to the city, to New York city. Um, so my husband didn't have to commute. So I sold my studio (laughs) to do that. So all of a sudden I had, I had time on my hands. So, and I knew how precious that is because in the past in my life, i I had ideas to write, but I never really could get organized. So I knew that this was precious and it was limited. So I had to take advantage of it. So yes, my practice was very strict. I got up 30 minutes of meditation, at least 45 minutes of, of uh, asana practice, um, and then four hours of writing. And that was, that was it, five days a week. That was a minimum. But what I found was I could do more. 
But in terms of creative writing, four hours, I did find was my limit. I could edit longer, but I couldn't, I had no, I, you know, no, I had, I had nothing after four hours. <laughs> so, so it was a couple of years of that. And that was very lucky. And I know how fortunate I was to get that space in my life. So I didn't want it to just go away. I was very highly motivated <laughs> because, you know, the universe gave me this, so uh, this gift. So I didn't want it to go to waste. Yeah. So that was my practice. Wow. That's, that's such dedication. I mean, I'm just in awe. I love it. Um, I'm an, <laughs> well, I've, I've written one book of poetry and I'm in the process of writing a novel right now. So I'm always curious about other writers writing processes <laughs> and what works and, you know, just how you go about approaching something so massive, you know? Yes. <laughs> I, I have new appreciation. Every book I pick up now, I just know, yes, you're right. You could write a book about the story of how this book got written. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There is a story behind every story. Yes. Um, and so what, so the book is published now, you can buy it, it's available. And is there a new, um, what are you doing now in your life? What are you focusing on now that this, this baby has been birthed into the world? Yeah, well, it's interesting. It's something definitely out of my comfort zone. I'm learning about um, marketing and publicity and, you know, working with the publisher. uh, Shambhal is amazing. I love this publisher, but it's, you really have to put yourself out there. And that's, you know, I, I feel that coming out of my comfort zone and, you know, talking about like yourself all the time, taking pictures of yourself. (laughs) And, but again, that's my ego. Like I have to get over myself and this book's important for people. So this, whatever the best way to put the word out, I'll do, you know? Uh, So that's what I'm I'm learning that. So I'm going to probably do that for another few months and do the best that I can in, in letting people know about this book. And then I'm excited to get creative again. I don't know what. I know it'll be in this in this yoga, you know, uh, area because that's what just makes me inspired. So, um, but I don't know yet, and I'm not. Uh, there's no rush. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It seems like things naturally find their way to you. That's what I'm gathering as I speak with you. <laughs> are you Are you teaching right now? I'm teaching. Since the pandemic, I've been teaching online mostly, although um, my my studio, my old studio, I'm very friendly with the new owner. So I teach there every once in a while, but they're really just coming back to on in-person classes. Um, but I've been teaching an online three-week meditation course. It's, it's kind of what I've designed that I think really helps people that want to start meditating at home. It's very hard to get started, although there's some great apps now, but we just meet for one hour um, and learn, you know, how to sit and breath meditation the first week. Then the students practice for a week. We come back and learn a mantra, how to practice mantra meditation, kind of layering on. And then the third week we learn like a visualization guided meditation. And after that time, I find people are really excited and ready to, you know, dedicate themselves to um, a home practice. And I think now it's like people are seeing in the mainstream 
meditation is good for you. All these scientific uh, studies, lowers blood pressure, increases immunity, et cetera, et cetera. And that's all true. And it's great, but those are just the side effects, you know, finding like inner peace and, you know, getting to know who you are. That's really why we do it. But, you know, we get all these great benefits physically too. So, so that's been really fun to do. And I I feel um, that's kind of my passion now is I feel like that teaching people how to meditate and why to meditate um, has really been um, the work that I focused on in the last, you know, year, I guess. Mm. Oh, that's cool. So is the three-week meditation course something that continuously revolves around the year or is it like you offer it regularly? I offer it regularly. We just finished one last week and I do it through my studio, the the old studio, but it's on my website too. So if anyone is interested, um, you know, it's one another great way to learn to meditate. Yeah. I definitely want to add um, information and links to that in the show notes of this podcast. So for those of you listening that um, have started to meditate and want a little bit of help and guidance around that. This sounds like a really great way to get some support because it's, oh, it's challenging at first. I agree with you. You said at the very beginning, when you were starting to meditate, you kind of dove in and didn't start slow. And <laughs> yeah, I think that, you know, kudos to you for sticking with it. And I mean, we're so lucky to have all this information in our current day and age, but you started out with just books and like, were there any re- recorded meditations or was that something like you checked out from a library or no yeah exactly I went to a bookstore (laughs) I went to that's what we had to do went to a bookstore and and saw a couple of you know introductory like really kind of old-fashioned books and I remember like I I, I couldn't read because I would get a headache so I just could read a little bit put the book down I was also in a place you know with Bell's palsy that I think I was trying to escape. It wasn't the healthiest, even mental, you know, state that I was in. I was just trying to escape from my own thoughts because I was so panicked. I had a decent recovery, but I, at the time they say, you know, you may not recover. So it's like, I was so panicked. I was trying to get away from my thoughts. So, so it was probably good, you know, looking back to keep me, and over the years, especially in the first few you know years, I wasn't steady necessarily. I would, you know, stop meditating and then start again and stop. So, you know, just like everybody, it took me a long time to really say to myself, you know, this really helps your life. You should, you should do. There's no reason. Like, there's a big difference when you're meditating regularly and when you're not. So, it took a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. I think it's an important reminder. (laughs) Yeah. Good for, good for us to hear and be reminded of. Uh, I want to be mindful of your time and I'm wondering if there is anything else you want to share with listeners, anything we haven't touched on any last words. Thanks. I think we, I mean, I really loved your questions. I think, um, I think the main thing is for, for people to know and to remember that, you know, that we are not our thoughts, that we have thoughts. And even just taking a breath, when we get, feel ourselves in our thoughts, 
letting the thoughts affect our body as they do. When we feel that, to just take a breath and feel the breath in the body. And right there, you've come out of the thoughts. You've created this mind-body connection, feeling the ribs expand as you inhale, relax as you exhale. Just doing that, you've come out of your thoughts. It's very empowering. We can do it. We're not victims or prisoners of our minds. And yoga, meditation just helps us, trains us to remember that and to come back to who we are, which is not the mind. <laughs> not that the mind is bad. It's just not who we are. <sighs> so, yeah. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and your wisdom and your teachings. Oh, thank you so much. another amazing episode of outside the studio i hope you enjoyed yourself i hope you learned something new maybe remembered something old maybe felt inspired to apply something to your life my <laughs> you can hear my dog in the background she's doing a little happy dance um so daisy enjoyed it Anyhow, I wanted to just pop in here to wrap us up to say a couple of things. Number one, I have such an amazing team that helps me put these podcasts together. Without them, I wouldn't you know, be able to bring these amazing conversations to you. So thank you to my producer, my director of creative services, my sound editor, my um, engineer, Consistency Media. Don't know what I would do without you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And the amazing creation and artistic, musical genius, Drew Lovern. Thank you so much for putting together this music for specifically for Outside the Studio. So unique to the show, only place you're ever going to hear it is right here. Thanks, you guys. You make my world go round. Stay well, everyone. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Share on the socials, especially if it's a show that you think, hey, this could help somebody else. That's what this is all about, right? We're sharing information so that we're better, um, so that we're inspired, so that we're lifting each other up, and we're learning how to be in this world, living on this planet to the best of our ability, sharing information and inspiring one another. And that's my hope. That's my hope for the show. Take care.